introduced a, a, a new series and around the subject of fasting, which she spoke to so well last week. And if you missed it, you can watch it. It's on YouTube and I want to welcome our online congregation as well. And today I'm going to talk about worship and praise for a little bit. And our key verse was from Acts 13, verses 2 to 3. That while they were worshipping, some translations said ministering to the Lord. So worship right there is us doing something to the Lord. It's not just for us. It's not about you. It's about Him. And while they were worshipping, ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, there's a third element there, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Worship and fasting and prayer create an atmosphere that brings clarity in our lives. It brings clarity in our life. Worship, praise, fasting, prayer brings clarity in our lives so that the Spirit can speak and direct us as a church but also as individuals so that we can walk in the things that God wants us to do. I want you to notice, they worshipped and fasted and the Spirit spoke. And the people here, they just said, I need God to speak to me. Well, I want to encourage you, step into a new season of praise and worship. Commit yourself to fasting in different ways. Danielle spoke brilliantly to that last week. And listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit because those things will quieten your spirit and allow you to hear, quieten your soul and allow you to hear what the Spirit is saying. So in a fresh way, I'm issuing a call to us as a congregation, as a church, to a new season of enthusiastic praise and worship. And the reason I'm saying it is in a call because I, as I prepared this, I became quite convicted myself that inadvertently, incrementally, I become a little more passive in my praise and worship. And I think if we reflect on it, some of that was driven by the COVID experience where we weren't allowed to sing sometimes, where if we were singing, we had to have masks on or we had to distance ourselves in that sense of corporate worship and that's not the only expression of worship, was limited. And we kind of just went on in that. And we have seen fresh flow of the Spirit and emphasis on worship and praise, but I kind of feel this thing where the Holy Spirit saying, no, you need to step up into a new season a new expression of praise and worship. Psalm 100 gives this incredible call to people to worship the Lord. And it's not a long psalm, but I'm just going to look at the first four verses. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness, enthusiasm. Come before Him with joyful songs. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who has made us. And we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. One of the key thoughts out of that, 
and there's so many things in that one passage alone, is that worship is a declaration that we are not self-made people. We are His people made by Him and for Him and for His glory. So worship is this abandoning yourself to say, God, I recognise You are my maker, both literally and also in terms of shaping my life. I'm not a self-made person. I don't claim that. And I am willing to give worship to you. There are four things in that passage that he calls us to do. He says, come and shout for joy to the Lord. Come with joyful songs. And right there, there's a few of you going, oh, I'm not sure if I like this loud stuff. But we'll get to that. We're gonna help all of us with that in a moment. But there's this exuberance, this come with exuberance, come with excitement, come with anticipation, come with declaration. Come and use your voice to worship the Lord. We come secondly to serve, worship the Lord with gladness. Some translations literally translate, serve the Lord with gladness. Not with a long, sad face and complaining about everything, but actually check in your heart to attitude and God, I'm going to serve you with joy and gladness. And it's interesting that worship and serving are used interchangeably and sometimes together to describe acts of worship to the Lord. Worship literally means to serve and serve means to worship. And we serve God with our worship and we also worship with our serving. And saying so all our serve teams across the church, what you do is an act of worship. It's recognized by God as an act of worship. And how can we literally give thanks to Jesus? In Matthew 25, and I'm just gonna highlight this, you can check this out for homework. He tells a parable of feeding and caring and clothing people and visiting people who are sick in prison. And they come back and they say, but when did we see you like that? And he says, when you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And so our acts of service, not just in facilitating a church service, that that's recognized as worship by the Lord, but our acts of service towards others is an act of worship as well. It's not just songs of praise, as important as that is. It's not just giving voice, as important that is. Our acts of serving people is accepted by Jesus as worship towards Him. So we come with our voice, we shout, we come to serve. The second, the third thing is we actually come. We actually come, because this is a call to worship. And the psalmist is saying, come people, come. And he's inviting them in that context into the temple, come to Jerusalem for the great festivals. But come, it's an invitation to gather. And yes, we can worship and we should worship individually and through the week and all the rest of it. That's really important. But there's also this moment, come on, people of God, come and gather, come together. The writer of Hebrews may be thinking about this. It says in Hebrews 10, 25, that we should not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. 
And I love the fact that we have an online campus and when people are traveling or sick or have a unique circumstance, they can engage that way. But I think wherever possible, we should be people who say, I'm coming to the house of the Lord. I'm coming together with God's people. I'm coming on a regular basis, whatever that works out for you, to be together because the invitation is come. And the fourth thing is we need to know something. We need to know that Yahweh is God. Yahweh is the covenant name of God. And it says the Lord is actually the word Yahweh there, the covenant, the Lord is God. And what he's saying is first and foremost, the Lord is summoning you to worship, inviting you, calling you to worship. Secondly, as you come, be assured that he is God that he's in control, that he knows what he's doing in your life and on this planet, despite all the craziness we see around about us. But thirdly, to actually confess, for it to come out of your mouth as praise and worship and thanksgiving, Lord, you are God. I recognise it, I declare it, I speak it of my life and my circumstance. And so I would say, I hope you catch the spirit of this, that it is either an act of ignorance or arrogance to withhold worship from God. And when I use the word ignorant, I'm not going, oh, you're ignorant people. Sometimes we just don't know what we don't know. And that's partly what I want to speak to. We, We just are ignorant of certain things, biblical truths. Well, we're going to help connect you to some things this morning. And stir up those of us who know these things to be stirred up again. But it's either an act of ignorance or arrogance that says, I'm not going to bow my knee to God. And we have people, and the Bible talks about that, that people who will willingly know that he's God, but still deny him worship for whatever reason. David was a great worshiper and he wrote many of the Psalms. And they are ancient songs of thanksgiving. And I'm going to stress the thing, ancient songs of thanksgiving, praise, worship, adoration. And in these psalms, he encourages us to sing, to shout, to clap, to lift our hands. People are getting nervous. And sometimes to be still before the Lord, to be silent. That's a part of it as well. And it's a worship style. The singing, the dancing, the clapping, the lifting hands, the shouting, the being still before the Lord. That is over 3,000 years old. And none of those things, none of those expressions are looked down on in our society if you're at a sporting event. But somehow or other, I'm not sure we can do that in church. (laughs) I really did enjoy watching the Kiwis lose the World Cup. I got to say, there was joy. There was some shouting. It wasn't the best game in the world, but, you know, South Africa went in their last three games by one point just to make a point. Uh, Let's not talk about the Wallabies. I'm heartbroken about that, but that's another story. But it's sporting events. Hands raised, declarations, all the rest of it. 
But in church, oh, I'm not allowed to do that. Feels weird to do that. And what I'm saying here is what we call nowadays traditional worship, which is mainly silent, reflective, is newer than what the Psalms call us to, this ancient style of worship, of shouting in triumph sometimes, of clapping our hands, of lifting our arms in adoration and in surrender. Yes, being still before the Lord as well, all of those things. And so what what we're talking about is actually an ancient form of worship that God never said, you don't have to do that anymore because these things are found in the New Testament as well. So it's not a new issue, this awkwardness about being exuberant in church. Not out of control, we're just talking about enthusiasm in worship. And for some, it's a religious issue. What I mean by that, they were raised in a more conservative style of worship. I was raised in a high Anglican church, smells, bells and incense. (laughs) And I'll never forget going to a Pentecostal church and seeing hands raised. And as a young Christian feeling, I really want to do that. And it was a fairly large church. And I remember the Sunday morning, it's distinct as if it was yesterday, when I summoned up the courage to lift my hands to the Lord, about this high. And I honestly had the feeling that at that moment, everybody was going to stop and say, look at him. Nobody cared. They were all doing it. But it feels like I understand that awkwardness, that needing to break through a barrier. But I'm going to encourage you to do it, not just today, but in the coming weeks and beyond and make it a part of a lifestyle. Sometimes, as I said, it's, it's biblically we don't know what we don't know. And we're going to try and help with that. But for some, it's actually an issue of the heart. In Luke 19, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices. Just notice that phrase, joyfully to praise God in a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. And they're yelling out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees, so not all the Pharisees were bad, but most of them were the control freaks, the legalists, the religious people who had a style and and try to push people into a way of doing things and getting approval by works to get God's approval. And some of the Pharisees just don't like this enthusiasm that the disciples are displaying. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to calm down, is basically what they're saying. Jesus says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And my exhortation to my own heart and to every one of us, I don't want to be out-worshipped by a stone or a rock. I want to show a little more enthusiasm than a rock. (laughs) And to help us to overcome some of our background, maybe 
uh, not understanding what the scripture says on, on the subject of praise and worship. I'm going to focus more on praise this morning. We're going to look at seven Hebrew words that are used throughout the Old Testament as expressions of love and worship towards God. And these words occur like hundreds of times, about 600 or more times in the Old Testament. And each has a slightly distinct meaning. And I'm just going to give you a little taste on each one. Don't worry, it's not a full sermon on each seven one of them. So you'll make lunch, you'll be all right. The first one, it's the most common expression of worship. And I'm going to hope my pronunciations are good. And if they're not, you can correct me later. But halal, it means to praise, to shine, to boast about God, to rave to rave about God, to celebrate. Literally, it can mean to be clamorously foolish for God's sake. So it's not about being a fool. It's not about being stupid. It's about literally saying, I don't care what other people think about my enthusiastic worship. Now, I'm not talking about running up and down the aisles with flags and whipping people in the face as you go by. We're not talking about that kind of thing. We're just talking about, I'm just going to worship the Lord. I'm going to get over me and say, worship is actually not about me. It's about you, Lord. It's the, the root word from where we get hallelujah, which is found in the New Testament. And is a declaration of praise. Psalm 150 is dedicated to the use of this word, but in English is only translated as praise. Praise the Lord, hallel the Lord. Praise God, hallel God in his sanctuary. I'm not going to say it each time, but it's in the notes there. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And in that, there's also an invitation for all sorts of instruments to be used. Even, well, let the drum arena. Albeit caged. <laughs> David praised the Lord when the Ark of the Covenant was brought into Jerusalem like this. He was clamorously foolish. He danced before the Lord. He danced before the ark that was brought in on the shoulders of the priest. And his wife, Michal, looked out of a window and despised him and thinking, how can a king lose his dignity like this? And challenged her on it. She challenged him on it. And he said, I will be even more foolish if that's what you think it is. In my praise and worship, I will abandon myself even more in praise and worship to the Lord. And the tragedy is, the scripture says that from that moment on, she was barren for the rest of her life. And what I see in that is not a harsh thing God imposing on us, but there can be areas of barrenness in our life that can be broken through just by saying, God, I'm not going to make praise and worship about me. I'm going to make it about you. The second one is yada. And it means to acknowledge God by raising hands 
used 114 times. And I just mentioned my experience was like, oh, you know, awkward. Now it doesn't matter. But raising your hands is actually an act of worship. Without words, just raising your hands. And it's used in the context of adoration and surrender. Of adoration and descent. And of just saying, God, here I am. One of the places it's used in the Psalms is Psalm 43, 5. Why are you in despair, my soul? It's all right to speak to yourself, to your soul. And why are you restless within me? Wait for God, for I will again praise Yahweh. I will lift my hands to him. In my pain, in my despair, in my distress, God, I'm going to lift my hands to you as an act of surrender, as an act of yielding. I will again praise him for the help of his presence. In that act of praise, of surrender, of yielding, of receiving, you're inviting the presence of God into your life, into your situation. Moses, when they fought against the Amalekites, the people in the valley during the battle, when his hands were raised, they had victory. When his hands dropped, the Amalekites got stronger. And so Aaron and her helped hold up his hands and there was victory. There's this principle and I'm just touching on a few things. So there's Halal, there's Yada, there's Zamar. A good sounding word. Zamar, and that's to make music to God with musical instruments. And it's used regularly over 46 times. In Psalm 98, verse 5 to 6, make music, Zamar, to the Lord with a harp. Nowadays we'd say with a guitar, electric guitar, bass guitar, rhythm guitar, piano. Those would be the instruments. They're using the instruments of the day. And with the sound of singing, with trumpets. I'd love to get a brass thing going in the church. With the blast of ram's horns, shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Psalm 150, as I mentioned, has multiple instruments that are used, even more than listed there. The fourth one, Shabbat. That'll clear your throat. Hey, Shabbat. And this means to shout, but as in raising a war cry, to shout in triumph. And it's used 172 times in the Old Testament. For example, in Psalm 47, verse 1, Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with a voice of triumph and songs of joy. There's literally on occasions lifting your voice to shout to the Lord despite your circumstance saying God you've given me the victory even if I can't see it I'm going to shout with a voice of triumph because the king of kings lives in me the overcoming one the resurrected one the victorious one dwells within me I'm going to shout in triumph even if I can't see it in my circumstances When David fled from Absalom, his son, in Absalom's rebellion, his son Absalom, he ends up in the wilderness. And sometimes there are things that go on in our life that we end up in the wilderness. And he's far from the comforts of home. He's been hunted 
by his son and the people that backed his son. There is no temple to go to because that's where he went to worship. There are no musicians to help him. Maybe he played because he was a skilled harp player. But David praised God in triumph by faith anyway in the wilderness. This psalm is written in the wilderness when he's fleeing, somebody pursuing him to his death. And he says this, because your love is better than life. Because your love is better than my comfort. Because your love is better than what in your life? Because God's love is better than everything. My lips will glorify. My lips will shabach you. And I will praise, he uses another word, barak, which I'll come to in a moment. As long as I live and in your name, I will lift my hands. Here's this man fleeing for his life who pauses in the wilderness, being persecuted, being attacked, his whole world upside. And he says, I'm not able to go to the temple, but I can still worship. I can't have all the retinue of singers and musicians that were there in the temple. But in the wilderness, I'm gonna lift my hands. In the wilderness, I'm gonna shout praise. In the wilderness, I'm gonna bless you, Lord. And I'm gonna do it as long as I live because your love is better than life. Alicia Purdy wrote a great book on the way of the worshiper, it's called. It said, praise and worship may be the last thing on your mind when you're just trying to survive, yet it's the first thing you need to do. The fifth one, tauda. Again, this is a word, it's different, but to lift your hands in adoration. This has more context of yielding of a child wanting to be picked up. When a little kid just wants to be picked up and come close, it's that kind of picture. And in that, there's something sacrificial about it and occurs 32 times. Whoso offers thanksgiving, tauda, as his sacrifice glorifies me. I, I just want you to note there before I read the rest of the verse that sometimes giving thanks to God in difficult circumstance is a sacrifice. The fruit of our lips, a sacrifice. Say, God, I'm thankful for all the things you do for me, even though I'm in the middle of a difficult time right now. I'm happy to give a sacrifice of praise. And God says, when that happens, I will order your way and I will show you my salvation. You will see the salvation of God. And Tauda, this the sacrifice of praise, which is this yielding, this adoration. Oh God, I want to be in your arms, as it were. Directs our minds to the beauty and the joy of God's goodness. The sixth one, Tehila. Not tequila. Shame on you. <laughs> tehila can also be translated as high praise. And it's found 57 times. Psalm 34 verse 1 says, I'll extol the Lord at all times. His praise, and I want you to know His praise, His tehillah will always be on my lips. 
And tehillah praise, that word, is the only word God refers to in a possessive term in the Hebrew. He possesses it. It's his praise. It's high praise. And it's used again in Psalm 22 and verse 3, where it says, you are holy, speaking to the Lord, enthroned on the praises, the tehillah of Israel. And there's something about praise, this high praise. That this, we, we lift our hands, we clap, we are still, we do all the things. But this high praise that comes and God says, I'm going to enthrone myself in that. And there's moments in meetings, in God gathering, where that sense of God coming in because there's high praise. He says, I can enthrone myself in the midst of that. And the seventh and the final one I'm going to mention to you is Barak, which is also the name of somebody. And this is used so many times because it literally means to bless. And many of the references are to somebody blessing somebody else. But a lot of them are used to say, God, I'm going to bless you. Go, wow, don't I want blessing from God? But what is it when somebody comes and said, God, I actually don't want anything from you except you. And I want to bless you for your goodness in my life. I want to bless you for what Jesus did on the cross. I want to bless you because you are God. And it means to bless by kneeling and bowing and putting your face to the ground. The total, here I am, Lord. Here I am. I bless you. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. Psalm 103 says, Praise the Lord, my soul. All my enemies being, praise his holy name. And this is the word, Barak, that is used here. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Lord, I bless you. I bless you. I bless you for all the good things you do in my life. And so my question is, how will you respond? How will I respond? I said, I felt so challenged that I'd actually become a bit too passive in my worship, in my praise. See, the devil loves to steal the one thing we can give to God. The only thing we can give to God, the God who has everything, is free praise and worship. The only gift we can give him. And giving ourselves. And the devil's always after God's worship to steal it, to quench it or to take it. One of the temptations of Jesus, Matthew 4 verse 8, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if, if you bow down and worship me. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to go through the pain. You don't have to face death. I will give you the kingdoms of the earth and all their glory, all their splendor. If you just shift your worship to me, away with you, Satan, Jesus said, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The whole thing of worship, praise, serving 
And God is looking for a wholehearted response from us. Jesus in a conversation with a Samaritan woman said this, a time is coming and now has come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of the worshippers the Father seeks. Do you realise that God is looking for worshippers? A friend of mine said once, and I loved it, he's a songwriter and all the rest of it. And he said, do you realise if you feel lost, just start worshipping and the Father will find you because he's looking for worshippers. Now the reality is he's never lost you, but I, I love that concept. There's something about praise and worship, regardless of our circumstance, that draws the presence of God. And worship, we need to engage our heart, but we need to engage our head. That's why we've gone through some of these things. We need to engage our emotions and not be afraid of, of emotion being a part. We're not talking about emotionalism and just stirring stuff up in a weird way, but actually, God, I'll worship you with everything I've got. We need to engage our thoughts. In Zechariah 14, verse 17, I'm going to ask the musicians to come up with transitioning into something else in just a moment it says if any of the people of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king the Lord Almighty they will have no rain now I can't go into the full context of what this is speaking to I'm extracting a principle we don't have to rush to Jerusalem in this modern day context to worship, I'm just looking at this principle. But God says, most people think this is in the millennial reign of Christ, that if nations do not come to worship, there will be no reign. And my question to all of us, how dry is your life right now? How barren do you feel? Maybe it's time to let loose in praise and worship so that the rain will come. Rain speaking, that fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Rain speaking of the presence of God coming into your circumstance. Even though you're in the wilderness, you're gonna barak, you're gonna bless the Lord. No worship, no rain. Worship, an outpouring of rain. The greatest act of worship is surrendering your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. And I'm going to give you an opportunity, both online, here in the auditorium, to say yes to Jesus. To bow the knee, as it were, to surrender. Salvation is not complicated. It's not about you working your way to God, getting good enough. Israel's experience demonstrated over millennia that they could never be good enough. Laws will not make you good enough for God. That's why Jesus came. Fully God, fully human, took on the weight of all our brokenness, of all our sin, and he died so he could forgive us and cleanse us. And all we have to do is to put our trust in him and make a confession. Believe in your heart and say with your mouth, Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you're my saviour. 